الحمد لله رب العالمين والصلاة والسلام على عبد الله ورسوله نبينا محمد وعلى آله وصحبه أجمعين أما بعد So I'd like to welcome you all here again to this second lesson out of our series on the beautiful names of Allah, Asma'ullah al-Husna, the beautiful names of Allah, the perfect names of Allah. And in our last lesson, we covered two names, if you remember. The first was the name Allah, and the second was the name Al-Ilah, Al-Ilah. And in this class, insha'Allah ta'ala, I would like to cover two more names or three more names, perhaps. I would like to cover the name Ar-Rabb and the name Ar-Rahman and the name Ar-Rahim, bi-ithnillahi ta'ala. But we'll see how much time we have to be able to cover that because these are very detailed and very comprehensive names. So we're going to start with the name Ar-Rabb, Ar-Rabb, the Lord. And of course, this name is mentioned frequently in the Qur'an. It's one of the most frequent names that is mentioned in the Qur'an. In over 500 places in the Qur'an, Allah Azza wa Jal is described as being Rabb, the Lord. And as an example, I'm sure you all know, Alhamdulillahi, Rabbil Alameen, all praise is due to Allah, the Rabb of the Alameen. And the Alameen, of course, is the plural of the word Alam, which means a world. And of course, you have the world of the men, the world of the angels, the world of the jinn, the world of the animals, the world of, you know, the, all these different kind of worlds or sort of ecosystems that exist and, and lives and people that exist. And Allah is the Lord of all of them. Uh, from this is the statement of Allah Azza wa Jal, قُلْ إِنَّ صَلَاتِي وَنُسُكِي وَمَحْيَايَ وَمَمَاتِي لِلَّهِ رَبِّ الْعَالَمِينَ Say indeed my prayer and my sacrifice, my living and my dying for Allah, the Lord of the worlds. And from this is the statement of Allah Azza wa Jal, قُلْ أَغَيْرَ اللَّهِ أَبْغِي رَبَّا وَهُوَ رَبُّ كُلِّ شَيْءٍ Say, is there other than Allah that I want as a Lord? Say, is there other than Allah that I want as a Lord when He is the Lord of everything? And from this is the statement of Allah Azza And from this the statement of Allah Azza wa Jal, Salamun min Rabbin Rahim. So these are just some examples of the over 500 examples in the Qur'an in which Allah describes Himself as being a Rabb. So let's start linguistically. Let's start linguistically as we do at the beginning to try to understand. I mean, we understood that Al-Ilah or Allah comes from Al-Ilahiyyah or Al-Uluhiyyah, the concept of of being deserving of worship and doing the actions that make Allah solely deserving of worship. So what about Ar-Rabb? What sifa, what, what attribute do we understand from the name of Allah as Ar-Rabb? We understand from this 
Ar-Rububiyyah. This concept, concept of lordship, of being lordly, if that is a valid word in English. Being like a lord or being the lord or having the attribute of lordliness or lordship. This is what we term in Arabic Ar-Rububiyyah. And Ar-Rububiyyah, it has a huge, huge, huge definition. It has so many different parts to it. But, and, and it, before we talk about all the different parts that it has, one of the things we can say is that the, the name Ar-Rabb, one of the things about it is, it's one of those names that covers all of the names of Allah within it. Because every single thing that you can say about Allah is a part of His Rububiyyah. And the essence of Rububiyyah are the actions of Allah that, or the things about Allah that He does. So the essence of Rububiyyah is talking about Allah from the point of view of who Allah is and what Allah does. This is the essence of Rububiyyah. Because when we talk about Tawheed al-Rububiyyah, how do we define Tawheed al-Rububiyyah? What is worshipping Allah alone in His Lordship? It's defined as Allah Azza wa Jal being alone in His actions, in His names and attributes and actions, in Himself, in the way that, in the things that He does and who He is, He is alone in them. And nobody is similar to Allah or like Allah or comparable to Allah in the things that Allah Azza wa Jal does. As for Al-Ilahiyya or Al-Uluhiyya, which we spoke about when we spoke about the name Al-Ilah, Al-Ilahiyya or Al-Uluhiyya, it indicates our actions towards Allah. That there is nobody that we turn to in worship except Allah. There is nobody that we supplicate to except Allah. There is nobody that we pray to except Allah. There is nobody that we dedicate ourselves to in love and fear and hope except Allah. So once we understand this, then we understand that Ar-Rububiyyah and Al-Uluhiyyah represent two halves of the way that we come to know Allah or the way that we come to worship or the way that we come to declare the oneness of Allah. We see two halves. In one half, we see the way that Allah is to us. Nobody provides except Allah. Nobody sustains except Allah. Nobody gives life except Allah. Nobody controls the universe except Allah. In the things that Allah does, in how Allah is, in those names and attributes that nobody has a claim to except Him, He is completely unique. And then when we look at it from the point of view of Al-Ilahiyyah or Al-Uluhiyyah, we see that we, because of this, we, are, we can only turn to Him, we can only pray to Him, we can only fast for Him, we can only supplicate to Him. And this is found within the ayah that I told you from Surah Al- An'am in which Allah says قُلْ إِنَّ صَلَاتِ وَنُسُكِ وَمَحْيَايَ وَمَمَاتِ لِلَّهِ رَبِّ الْعَالَمِينَ Notice how Allah joins between the different kinds of Tawheed, all three kinds of Tawheed are inside of this ayah. Say indeed my prayer and my sacrifice and my living and my dying, any the things I do, I only do them for Allah. And this is Al-Uluhiyya or Al-Ilahiyya, that this is only for Allah and Allah Azza wa Jal is Rabbul Alameen. I.e. that the reason that this is only for Allah is because of who Allah is 
And this is the meaning of the name Ar-Rabb. This Ar-Rabb is a summary of who Allah is in himself and in his actions towards us. So the fact that Allah Azza wa Jal creates, the fact that Allah Subhanahu wa Ta'ala gives life and causes death, the fact that Allah has a tadabbur, he has that control and that command, the mashia of Allah Subhanahu wa Ta'ala, the, the will of Allah, the qadr of Allah Subhanahu wa Ta'ala, all of them are found within the rububiyyah of Allah, Allah's lordship. And I'm going to read you uh, some of uh, the meanings of the word Lord. I'll, I'll rather than pick all of them because these quotes are quite long. Uh, I'll take you just what Ibn Athir, rahimahullah ta'ala said. He said that the Lord linguistically refers to, and he mentions six names or six meanings for the word Lord in Arabic. He says, Al-Malik, the owner. So the one who owns something is called a Lord. And then he says, As-Sayyid, the, the master or the, the leader or the, the sort of, you know, the, the ultimate. So I think master is a good word. The ultimate master is called a Rabb. And likewise, he says, Al-Mudabbir, the one who controls and commands and takes care of things, is called a, a Rabb. And likewise, Al-Murabbi, the one who takes care and, and nourishes and brings someone up and takes them from being, you know, small and weak into being, you know, powerful and strong, is also called a Murabbi or a Rabb. And Al-Qayyim, the one who, who sustains and provides, is called a Rabb. And likewise, Al-Mun'im, the one who gives his ni'mah, who blesses and who gives sort of uh, extra blessings and, uh, and virtues and benefits, is also called Arab. And this is linguistically, by the way, he hasn't got to talking about Allah yet. He's talking about the word Rabb in the Arabic language. That the word Rabb is Al-Malik, Al-Sayyid, the, the owner, the master, Al-Mudabbir, Al-Murabbi, Al-Qayyim, Al-Mun'im. This is what Ibn Al-Athir, he said about the word Arab. These meanings are found within Arab. And then he said, La yutlaku and this is a very beneficial point of benefit for ourselves that we're not allowed to use the word Rabb for other than Allah when it's on its own. We can only use it for other than Allah when we make it a possessive. So when we say, for example, Lord of the manor, this is allowed to say, or Lord of the house, or Lord of the camel, or something like that. This is permissible for us to say when we make it a possessive we're allowed to say that but when we use the word lord on its own it's not permissible for us to use the word lord as a description of anyone unless we restrict it so we can say this man is the lord of the manor the lord of the house but we can't say this man is lord because that word lord on its own without restricting it is only for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. He's the only one. And if you just consider these linguistic meanings as they apply to Allah. 
Just consider these linguistic meanings as they apply to Allah. I just want you to think about them for a second. I want you to think about Allah Azza wa Jal, Al-Malik. You know, the owner of everything. And just think about this. You know, you think about the person who owns the most amount of stuff that you can imagine. Okay, just reflect for a second upon, you know, whether you're thinking of, you know, the, I don't know, the, the ruler of the Emirates or something. Somebody who owns a huge amount of land and property and wealth and money and resources. And then imagine how much of that will they bring Yawm Al-Qiyamah? Absolutely nothing. Who will be the dominion for and possession on that? They will only be for Allah. Then think, who gave them all of that possession? Allah. And who can take that possession away from them if he wishes? Allah. So this ownership, it's only true really for Allah. We own things in this dunya, but we don't really own them. We, we kind of borrow them if you like you know we have ownership but it's not real ownership because it doesn't you know it's like some people when you own a like you own an apartment but you know that really you know you've just got like a lease on it you know like in a hundred years time that apartment they can take it off you or if your visa is cancelled you will lose the apartment or something like that you don't really own it in a true sense of the word because all of it belongs to Allah the reality is this dunya and everything that is in it belongs to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and you are given it for a temporary amount of time, you own it for the length of time that you're alive, but you don't have real ownership. And that's why Allah says, Who does ownership belong to on that day? To Allah, to Allah, the one, the irresistible. So if you think about that, then you think about a Sayyid. You think about Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, you know, there is, who is a Sayyid? A Sayyid is Al-Mutar, the one who is obeyed, the one who is, you know, you, the, the, the concept of a Sayyid is someone that you obey, someone that you, you hold to be your, you know, your master, you submit to them and you obey them and you kind of act in obedience to them. And the reality is there's no obedience which is absolute to anyone except Allah Azza wa Jal. And of course, his messenger sallallahu alayhi wasallam, which follows being obedient to Allah. And that is why, you know, you'll hear the khatib say in the Jumu'ah khutbah. You know, usually they, they say it here before the khatib sits down. He will mention the ayah, Ya ayyuhal ladheena amanu ati'u allaha wa ati'u rasul wa ulil amri minkum. Or you who believe, obey Allah absolutely. Because Allah azza wa jal is a sayyid. The one that you obey him absolutely and universally without question in everything and you don't have a choice in any aspect of it and Allah Azza wa Jal his messenger Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam is deserving of that obedience because his messenger follows obedience to Allah to the messenger it follows obedience to Allah you can't obey Allah unless you obey the one that Allah commanded you to obey but notice how Allah Azza wa Jal did not repeat the command obey for Ulul Amr for those people in authority he said obey Allah and obey his messenger and those in authority over you because those in authority over you obedience to them is conditional it's conditional upon what they ask you being obedience to Allah whereas if they command you to as, as was said if, even in uh, 
in the Quran when Allah talks about the believing women who give bay'ah to the Prophet that they will not disobey you they will not disobey you in that which you command them which is good because obedience to creation is conditional obedience as for Allah Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has absolute obedience to him and he has absolute uh, if you like mastery over his creation and then if you think about what Ibn Athir said Al-Mudabbir you know control of this universe all of it is in the hands of Allah Azza wa Jal. Ma sha Allahu kan wa ma lam yasha lam yakun. Whatever Allah Azza wa Jal wills to happen, happens. And what Allah Subhanahu wa Taala doesn't will to happen, it doesn't, it doesn't happen. Like Imam Shafi'i rahimahullah Taala, he said in his poetry, Ma shi'ta kana wa in lam asha, wa ma shi'tu in lam tasha lam yakun. Khalaqta al-ibad ala ma alimta wa fi al-ilmi yajri al-fata wa al-musino. He said, whatever you will happens even if I don't will it to happen. And whatever I want to happen, if you don't want it to happen, it doesn't happen. You created your servants upon or based upon the knowledge that you had. And in this knowledge, swims every young and every old person. Upon this one, you blessed. And this one, you, you lowered in status. And this one, you helped. And this one, you didn't. And from them are those who are the wretched. And from them are those who are the happy. And from them are those who are ugly. And from them are those who are beautiful. So the reality is there is no control for any of us except that which comes from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So he is al-mudabbir, the one who controls everything. And he is Al-Murabbi. And I feel this is one of the aspects of Ar-Rabb that is probably least understood by people. People, most of us least understand this. Uh, is that Allah Azza wa Jal, in himself, he is constantly engaged in the tarbiyah of his creation. And tarbiyah, you can call it nourishment, you can call it uh, sort of raising someone up, taking care of someone, uh, sort of teaching somebody what they know. And you know, this kind of concept of, um, of raising somebody up. This is what we call tarbiyah. And Allah Azza wa Jal is constantly engaged in tarbiyah of his slaves. And the tarbiyah of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, the way that Allah Azza wa Jal brings us and raises us and takes us, you know, from the wombs of our mothers when we didn't know anything and, and and brings us into what we are today. This tarbiyah that Allah gives us is of two types. As the scholars mentioned, tarbiyatun amma and tarbiyatun khassa. There is a general kind of way that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala sustains all of his creation. There's a general way that Allah sustains his creation, right? So Allah is there anything that Allah doesn't sustain? If there was anything that Allah didn't sustain, then it would not, it would not exist. Because Allah is al-qayyum the one that everything exists within his control and his command and because he gives it life and because he allows it to exist. And from this is when we make dua, when we say to Allah don't leave me to myself for even the blinking of an eye. So the reality is that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala 
has this tarbiya, the way this nourishment and this taking care of us and this raising us, he does it for everything. There is not a plant, there's not a seed, there's not an animal, there's not a bird that flaps its wings except that it does so because of the tarbiya of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. That Allah has nourished it and raised it and brought it up to, to, to be able to do that. Allah has taught it what it knows. At the same time, there is a tarbiya khasa. There is a unique kind of tarbiya that Allah has given to his believing servants. And that is that he has brought you to know Islam. And he has brought you to understand what it means to worship him. And he has brought you up to believe in him and to dedicate your life to him in Islam. That's something that is he hasn't given to everyone. He hasn't given it to every human being. He hasn't given it to every person. He's only given it to a certain tiny number of people. And I just want you to imagine just how tiny this number is. You know, right now in the world, I don't know how many billion people, but you know, just imagine all of the, the billions of people that exist in the world today. What percentage of those are Muslim? You're looking at Muslims being, I don't know, one and a half, two, something like that. So you're looking at the Muslims not even realistically probably being what, uh, a fifth, a quarter, something like that. Out of that number of people, how many of them have been guided to actually practice Islam? I mean, not just to be called Ahmed or Muhammad or Fatima, but to actually go outside and, and be praying and fasting and making dua and calling upon Allah in fear and hope. How many of them? Again, you know, you're talking a pretty small number and I, I don't want to put a number on it, but you know, just imagine you might be talking about the same kind of percentage again. Then out of that number of people, how many of them have been guided to the Sunnah? How many of them have been guided to, to, to worship Allah as He taught His Messenger وسلم, to teach us? How many of them have been guided to that? How many of them have fallen into misguidance and innovation and other things? You know, when you look at this, you really are a tiny group out of a tiny group out of a tiny group that Allah has chosen for this tarbiyah, this very specific and this very unique way of nourishing you and teaching you and raising you up that He hasn't given to anybody else. And so this is perhaps one of the reasons and from the people who mentioned this is Allama Sa'di in his tafsir. He mentions that this is one of the reasons why people call upon Allah with the name Ar-Rabb. You know, you always hear, what you hear about people call about Rabbana in the Quran. Rabbana, 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 Rabbana. Why are the prophets always calling Rabbana, Rabbana, Rabbana? Because at the end of the day, they are remembering, it's what we call istihdar and ni'mah. They are remembering this huge blessing that Allah took them and what did, I mean, what did Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala say about the Prophet sallallahu alayhi and about the believers? That you didn't know Iman, you didn't know Quran, you didn't know any of these things until Allah taught you them. Until Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala taught us these things, we didn't know Iman, we didn't know Quran. And then imagine that you're constantly reminding yourself that Allah is the one who gave you this knowledge and this and he raised you in this way. Subhanallah, what a, what a beautiful meaning that is found within this, this word Rabb. So when you say Rabbana, what are you saying? You're saying, Oh Allah, 
you are the one who nourished me and took care of me. And if you had left me, I wouldn't been, have been able to know any of this. I wouldn't have known what is the kitab. I wouldn't have known what is iman. I wouldn't have known what is the truth and what is the falsehood. The only thing that I would have been, you know, I, I wouldn't have known anything until you taught me. So you are my Lord. And that's why I call upon you and I say, Rabbana, my Lord. So this is one of the meanings, Al-Murabbi. And then think, you know, we can continue on, you know, think about Allah Azza wa Jal being Al-Qayyum. You know, the one who everything exists because he allows it to exist. And everything here happens because he sustains it and he keeps it going, you know, and nothing can exist and nothing can live and nothing can be without his command and his sustenance. And then you think about the last of the meanings that Ibn al-Athir mentions, al-Mun'im. And I just want you to reflect for a second upon what is a ni'mah. A ni'mah is something which is given to you, which is additional to what you deserve, okay? You don't say a ni'mah for your wages, right? You know, you know, if you work like, let's say I work like eight hours and then I get paid, I don't call this linguistically a ni'mah. I might say it's a ni'mah from Allah, but I mean, in terms of my employer, I don't say, can I have my ni'mah? I say, can I have my ratib? Or can I have my ajr, my, my wage? But I don't call it a ni'mah. Because a ni'mah is called a ni'mah in Arabic because it is additional to what you deserve. When you say, Sirat al-ladina an'amta alayhim, you're giving the impression that Allah is giving you something that you don't deserve. It's not like you've worked hard enough for it. But the situation is that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is giving it to you anyway. And that is another part of the meaning of the word Rabb. You know, this generosity and this giving, even though we don't deserve it. And if we were to put our deeds on a scale versus all the things Allah had given us, we wouldn't even get through, you know, a thousandth of what Allah had given us before we ran out of good deeds. Can you honestly say that you have done enough good deeds to make up for your eyesight? Really, you know, none of us can turn around and say that I've done enough good deeds that my I have justified this eyesight that Allah has given to me. You know, you, that's one blessing out of the, the innumerable, you can't possibly count them, out of the innumerable blessings that Allah has given you, one single one of those doesn't equate to any of the, you know, it, your deeds don't equate to it at all. And so Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is this, you know, He's always giving you this ni'mah. And this, you know, subhanAllah, we have an evidence for this in Surah Al-Hujurat. Allah Azza wa Jal says, وَلَكِنَّ اللَّهَ حَبَّبَ إِلَيْكُمُ الْإِيمَانِ وَزَيَّنَهُ فِي قُلُوبِكُمْ وَكَرَّهَ إِلَيْكُمُ الْكُفْرَ وَالْفُسُوقَ وَالْعِسْيَانِ أُولَٰئِكَ هُمُ الرَّاشِدُونَ فَضْلًا مِّنَ اللَّهِ وَنِعْمَةِ وَاللَّهُ عَلِيمٌ حَكِيمٌ Allah Azza wa Jal tells us, Allah has حَبَّبَ إِلَيْكُمُ الْإِيمَانِ He's made you love Iman. And you would not have loved Iman if it were not for the fact that Allah had made you love Iman. And He made it beautiful to you. You know, a lot of people think that beauty is in amassing wealth. A lot of people think that beauty is in, you know, having a beautiful spouse on your, on your arm. A lot of people think that beauty is in, you know, uh, 
sort of control and power and authority and a lot of things. People see beauty in a lot of things. You see beauty in Iman. That is a huge gift from Allah that you now you see Iman to be something beautiful. Because there are a lot of non-Muslims who look at Iman and think Iman is something oppressive and something horrible. And they, they how could you possibly live like with this praying five times a day and covering and you know doing not drinking alcohol and all of these things that you do. And so they see and they look and they think, subhanAllah, you know, like this is, we love Iman because Allah has made Iman something beautiful to us. And not just that, وَكَرَّهَ إِلَيْكُمْ Allah made you hate Al-Kufr. Allah made you hate disbelief. Allah didn't make you, you know, have you ever listened to an atheist talk about why they're an atheist? And listen to an atheist say, you know, that how, you know, you see how much they love disbelief. You know how much they love not believing in God and how much they think it's the most amazing, clever, genius thing. You know, I heard one of them say today, I just happened to hear him say, you know, I um, something along the lines of, he said something along the lines of something that I can't see 33 times or 32 times, I don't believe in. And he thought it was a very clever answer, you know, that I've given that, you know, if I can't see God and I can't prove God, well, I'm sorry, I'm not going to believe in him. And they think it's so amazing. The fact that you think that disbelief is something horrible, is something which Allah has blessed you with in your heart. And you hate defiance, you hate the concept that I would defy Allah, I would disbelieve in Allah, I would turn away from Allah. And you hate the concept that you would disobey Allah. Disobeying Allah feels horrible. And that's why one of the, one of the worst punishments that Allah can inflict upon a human being is to make them love disobeying Him, to make them just find disobeying Allah to be the most enjoyable thing, that they never feel any regret, they never feel any pain, they never feel any sadness when they disobey Allah. That's a huge trial for Allah to put a person through. And then all of this, Allah describes it and He says, Fadlan min Allahi wa ni'ma. This is a grace from Allah, a fadl. Al fadl in Arabic is a ziyada, something extra. You know, you say fadl, you say fadlul ma, the leftover water, you know, the extra water that you didn't need. And you know, you say that the definition of uh, a riba, for example, is al fadl, something extra, something which is kind of extra on top of what you deserve. And so Allah describes this whole concept of iman as being a fadl, as being a, a grace from Him. You know, in the, in the real English sense of the word, when we say this is a grace of God, something is giving you out of His grace. Something is not, he's not giving it to you because you did all of these amazing things. He's giving it to you out of the pure grace of Him and His ni'mah and His blessings. So it's something additional. It's something, it's a grace from Allah and it's a, a blessing from Allah. And Allah says, Wallahu alimun hakim. Allah is alimun hakim. And this is an answer to those people who say, but surely that's unfair. How is he giving it to someone and not giving it to someone else? Wallahu alimun hakim. Allah knows those people who, even though they didn't pass the exam, he knows the people who tried and the people who didn't. And he is wise in who he gives this blessing to. He doesn't just give it randomly. It's not like you can have it and you can't, and you can have it and you can't. It's given with complete knowledge and wisdom. And all of this, Ibn al-Athir says, is from the meaning of the word Rabb. We're still on the linguistic meaning of the word Rabb. We haven't got to the, the word Rabb as it relates to Allah Ibn al-Qayyim, rahimahullah ta'ala, he says, 
Allah, that the Lord, He is Al-Qadir, the one who is capable of everything. And He is Al-Khaliq, the one who creates everything. And He is Al-Bari, the one who brings everything into existence. And He is Al-Musawwir, the one who fashions the shape of things. And He is Al-Hayy, the ever-living. And He is Al-Qayyum, the one who sustains all existence and he is Al-Alim, the most knowledgeable and he is Al-Sami' the one who hears everything and he is Al-Basir the one who sees everything and he is Al-Muhsin the one who always gives you more than you expect from that you would expect the one who is always always what he gives is more than what you deserve and what you expect and he is and also from Al-Muhsin is the one who is proficient in everything that he does and everything he does is perfect. And he is Al-Mun'im, the one who blesses his creation and he is Al-Jawad and he is Al-Mu'ati, Al-Mani' and he is Al-Dar, Al-Nafi' and he is the one who benefits and the one who harms and the one who gives and the one who withholds. And he is Al-Muqaddim wal Mu'akhir, the one who puts people forward and puts people back. He raises people up and he lowers people down. He puts people in a certain position and he takes position away from uh, people. Uh, the one who misguides whoever he wants and guides whoever he wants and makes whoever he wants happy and makes whoever he wants sad and, and he honors whoever he wants and he lowers whoever he wants. And he said, He said, in addition to these other things from the meanings of his lordship. So now this is just the meaning of what the word Arab means that he has and he deserves and make him deserving of all of these Asma'ul Husna. So when you hear this word Arab, what comes to mind? All of these meanings. Arab is Al-Khaliq. Arab is Al-Qadir, Al-Qadir, Al-Muqtadir. Arab is Al-Alim, Al-A'lam. You know, Arab is Al-Hakim, Al-Rabb is Al-Mudabbir, Al-Rabb is Al-Nafi' Al-Dar. All of these, they might, not all of them are names of Allah, by the way, but as some of them, you know, in terms of attributes, but this is what comes to mind when you hear the meaning of the word Al-Rabb. So you see that this meaning of Al-Rabb covers all of the names of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And Allah's Lordship is something that is present for us to see in every place. And this is why you know, particularly I want to focus on this, that in terms of da'wah and in terms of, of us in our, in our faith and developing our iman, and we talk about, you know, our, our, what does it mean for us in action to believe that Allah is our Lord? What does it mean for us in terms of our actions to believe that Allah is our Lord? Well, to understand this, you have to understand that Lordship in of itself doesn't belief in Allah's lordship in of itself doesn't necessarily make you a Muslim. And the evidence for that is that you can see many people around the world today, many sort of people of all different faiths who recognize parts of Allah's lordship and who may even recognize most of Allah's lordship. Uh, this was something that was true in the Quran in the people of, you know, people of Quraysh and the people before them, that they would recognize that Allah is our creator. They would recognize that Allah is our Sustainer, they would recognize that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala created us and Allah is controlling our affairs. But that in of itself is supposed to lead you to something else. 
It's supposed to lead you on a journey. So the first thing you see as a, let's say a non-Muslim looking around the world is you see there's an evidence that God exists. You know, like you look around the world and you see God in everything. I mean, you, in the sense of you see his power, you see his creation, you see his command, you see his control, you see his revelation, you see all of the things that he does. You see his ayat, as we would say, his signs and his, his symbols. You see them everywhere. And a person who says that belief in God is not scientific, this is something which is very strange because you can't really get anything more scientific than the ayat of Allah which are present in every single thing that you see. In your own self, don't you see? I mean, look at your own body. Look at your own self. Look around you and you see all of this perfect world that works absolutely perfectly. And you see that human beings have this consciousness and this uh, this conscience and this ability to decide right from wrong and you you know subhanallah these ayat that exist you see the heavens above you and you see the earth below you and you see all of these ayat of the rububiyah of allah the lordship of allah that allah created them now this is supposed to lead you to la ilaha illallah that there is no god worthy of worship except allah it's supposed to lead you to praying to allah alone it's supposed to lead you to making dua to Allah alone. It's supposed to lead you to making sajda to Allah. It's supposed to lead you to praying. It's supposed to lead you to Islam. And that's why whenever you hear the Allah talk about His Lordship in the Quran, you see that it's immediately followed up by His worship. So for example, uh, Allah Azza wa says in Surah Al-Baqarah, يَا أَيُّهَا النَّاسُ عُبُدُوا رَبَّكُمُ الَّذِي خَلَقَكُمْ وَالَّذِينَ مِنْ قَابِلِكُمْ لَعَلَّكُمْ تَتَّقُونَ Allah says, O oh, you people, worship your Lord. So now Allah is emphasizing that He is the Lord. He is your Lord. He is the one who created you, sustains you, provides for you, gives you rizq. He is the one who causes life and death and benefit and harm. Worship your Lord who created you. So this is an evidence for the meaning of the word Lord who created you. Your Lord who created you, i.e. one of the meanings of the word Lord is that your Lord created you and those who came before you so that you may become from a people of taqwa. Then Allah says, describes the things that he does. The one who you know, created uh, you, created from the heavens and put the, you know, the sky as a canopy and the earth as a bed and sent down from the sky rain and he brought out from there with you know, the food, the fruit that you eat. So Allah is telling more about His Lordship, that He is, you know, He's the one who made the earth, the sky as a canopy and the earth as a bed and brought out down the rain and brought out all of the vegetation for you to eat from. So because you recognize that only Allah does this, then don't make partners with Allah while you know. They asked Ibn Abbas anhuma, what does it mean? What does it mean, وَأَنْتُمْ تَعْلَمُونَ? What is it that you know? Because Allah doesn't mention what you know. Allah just says, while you know. He said, while you know that Allah is your creator and your sustainer and your provider, etc., etc. And He wants you know that Allah is your Rabb. How can you then turn to anyone except Him? Once you know that Allah is your creator, how can you then make sajda to anyone besides Him? Once you know that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala sent down the rain from the sky, how can you ask somebody else to send down rain from the sky after you know that? So knowing that Allah is your Rabb has multiple aspects to it in terms of our actions. One of them is that we recognize these attributes of Allah. We recognize His 
that he is creating and that he is sustaining and that he is the one that we're in desperate need of and that nobody can, you know, so, sort of nobody can help us except him. But then we start to act upon the sort of the next step, which is that we in ourselves don't turn to anyone else besides Allah. Because how can you turn to someone who doesn't have those characteristics? You know, show me in the, in the heavens or the earth anyone who creates except Allah. You will not be able to show me anyone. Show me anyone who controls the universe except Allah. You will not be able to show me anyone. Show me anyone who gives life and death except Allah. And you will not be able to show me. So then if Allah is the only one who does those things, then what should our position be towards Allah? That Allah is the only one that we turn to in devotion, in submission, in Islam, in worship. قُلْ إِنَّ صَلَاتِي وَنُسُكِي وَمَحْيَايَ وَمَمَاتِي لِلَّهِ رَبِّ الْعَالَمِينَ لَا شَرِيكَ لَا Say my prayer and my sacrifice and my living and my dying are for Allah, Lord of the worlds, no partner has He. He's got no partner, there's no partner in this. There's nobody that shares this with Allah Because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is the only one who has these characteristics. So if you think of a rububiyah as being the things that Allah does, the things that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala does and the things that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is, you know, His attributes and His names, and then you think of that leading us to the meaning of the word Allah and the meaning of the word Al-Ilah, the one who you lower yourself before him in submission and in Islam. Uh, and this is you know, important that we reflect upon each of these parts of the meaning of the word Rabb so that we can understand, especially we understand the, the virtue of Allah for us or to us and what Allah has given us. And we try to sort of, sort of, give thanks for what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has given to us and we try to to turn to Allah in gratitude for all of these huge blessings that we can't possibly enumerate and we can't possibly count. So these are some of the most important uh, sort of meanings of the word Rabb and you see this in Surah Al-Fatiha. Alhamdulillahi Rabbil Alameen, Ar-Rahman Ar-Rahim, Maliki Yawmiddin, Iyaka Na'budu, Wa Iyaka Nasta'in. You see three ayat that deal with the rububiyah of Allah Not exclusively, of course, but they, they deal with Allah as who He is and what He does. His mercy towards us and the fact that He controls everything and the day of judgment and all of those things. And then you get the command which comes about as part of recognizing that. It's basically like saying to you, if you recognize that Allah is Rabbul Alameen and you recognize that Allah is Ar-Rahman Ar-Rahim and you recognize that Allah is Maliku Yawmiddin then if you recognize these things about Allah, then what must you do? You alone we worship and you alone we ask for help. So you don't ask for help from anyone besides Allah. And you don't worship anyone besides Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Uh, I think these are the most uh, important points. We've mentioned that believing in rububiyah as in of itself in terms of believing in Allah as a rabb uh, doesn't necessarily, isn't necessarily enough to make you a Muslim. And we, you know, some of the ayat in this wala in sa'altahum, man khalaqahum la Allah fa'anna yu'fakun. If you ask them who is it that they that created them, they will say Allah. So how are they deluded? And the statement of Allah Azawajal, kulli man al ardu wa man fiha in kuntum ta'alamun, sayakuluna lillahi kul afala tadakkaru. Say to who belongs the earth, to whom belongs the earth and whatever is in it, if you really know, they will say it belongs to Allah. Say then, will you not remember? I will you not remember to dedicate yourself 
and think to dedicate yourself to worshipping Allah after you recognize that He has the earth and everything that is in it. Uh, these are just a few points. I think that we will not have time for Ar-Rahman Rahim today uh, because we have, uh, it's also a long topic as well to talk about the mercy of Allah and what is the difference between Ar-Rahman and Ar-Rahim. But that's okay. The first few names will take a little longer because they are very comprehensive. They have lots of meanings in one name uh, and it takes us a little longer. And some of the other names will be a little bit quicker because they have only one sort of key meaning or one core meaning. So as we go through these, inshallah ta'ala, we will uh, we will be able to cover more. So we've now covered three. And the reason I keep remembering or reminding you is I want us to try and memorize them. So we have covered the name Allah and the, and the name Al-Ilah and Ar-Rabb, the Lord. So we have Allah, which is obviously Allah, and Al-Ilah, the one who is worshipped or the one who is deserving of worship. And or you can say the God, the two are the same because God is, the word God is something that deserves to be worshipped and Ar-Rabb, the Lord. And inshallah we will continue next time, not next week, but next time. Remember we do the first and third week of every month. So then the first week of, it will be the first week of April, right? Yeah. So the, yeah, it's the first, this one is the first and third week. And the other one in An-Nahda is the second and Fourth week, I hope. In any case, you can check the posters and make sure, inshallah. We will cover Ar-Rahman, Rahim, inshallah ta'ala. Wallahu tabaraka wa ta'ala a'lamu salatu wa salam ala nabiyyina muhammadin wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'in. Subhanak Allahumma wa bihamdik. Ashadu an la ilaha illa anta astaghfiruka wa atubu ilayk.